When I was in seminary, I had a professor that was known for the very difficult tests that he gave people. I mean, his tests were almost impossible to take. He was a, it was a brilliant man, and he was a profound lecturer. But his lectures were so deep that you really, you really couldn't take notes on them. So when it came time to taking a test, you, it was very difficult to study for. And I, I heard the story, and, and I don't know if it's true or not. It's supposed to be true. If it isn't, it should be true, all right? And, and it was this, a student of his was taking one of his tests, got so frustrated and angry because the test was just impossible. The student had studied the best that he could for the test. And so in his frustration, he wrote at the top of the test, only God could answer these questions and handed it in to the professor and walked out. The next day he came back and the professor handed back all the papers and he got his paper and at the top the professor had written, God gets an A, you get an F. <laughs> Nobody in here likes to take tests. I mean, if you do, you are very strange. Nobody likes it. It, it. There's so much anxiety and fear and worry about taking a test. And, and we, just, we just don't enjoy it. Now, God knows that about us. He knows we don't like tests. But that does not stop Him from putting us through tests. He'll allow us to walk through tests in our lives. In fact, anybody that wants a serious walk with God, you're going to find yourself in places of testing. Now, when God tests us, He doesn't test us to sin. God never tempts anybody to do evil or to sin. He doesn't test us to fail us. He doesn't test us to be, put us down or make us look bad or belittle us. God tests us in actuality to bring His best out of us. He, he allows us to walk through challenging times to help us better see where we're strong in Him, where we're weak in Him. And really the bottom line of a test with God is He wants to see, show us how much more dependent we can be upon Him as He shows who He is. Well, today, as we continue in the series, Storytellers, that Pastor Jeremy, the campus pastor, uh, began a couple of weeks ago. By the way, for those I've not had the opportunity of meeting, my name's Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin, North America and Canton Campus. I'm usually out here about once a month, um, but I could be out here last month, so it's been a little while since I've been with you. Our campus pastor, Jeremy Isaacs, he's on vacation, so I'm here with you today. And we're going to talk in Storytellers looking at this person, Abraham, and how God tested him. And the story you just heard in Genesis 22 that the readers just read to you is the story that the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 refers to when he talks about Abraham. Now what we've been doing, we've been looking at what we often refer to as the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews is in the New Testament and the writer of Hebrews is writing to the readers to encourage us in our faith. Because the readers at that time that this is written, uh, the, the book of Hebrews, they're going through a lot of difficult painful, challenging times. And he's encouraging them, hey, hold to faith in God. And so in Hebrews 11, he has this list of folks out of the Old Testament, how God commends them for their faith. And Abraham is one of those folks. In fact, three times in Hebrews 11, Abraham is commended for his faith. The first time is when uh, Abraham left his home country where God said, leave your home country, go to a place that you don't know about. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He's commended for trusting God when he did that. The second time he's mentioned in Hebrews 11 is when God promised him, he and his wife Sarah, that they would have a child. 
And that child would be the beginning of many, many descendants that would become a great nation. We know that nation today to be Israel. But at the time he made that promise to Abraham and Sarah, they were so old, they were past physically the ability to produce children. And it wasn't until 25 years later that Isaac was born to them as God promised. The third time Abraham is commended for his faith in Hebrews 11 is based on the story we just heard where God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if you happen to have a Bible, if you want to, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is at the back end of the New Testament. I think it's tucked away between Philemon and James. If you can't find that, go to the table of contents. You paid for it, so use it. It's all right to do. But in Hebrews 11, we're going to focus in on Abraham. And we're going to be looking at when God tests our faith. What, what, what is God really trying to do? And every time any of us that walk with Christ find ourselves in that place of testing, and those will be challenging times. Every time we find our place there, there's probably unique, specific things He's trying to show all of us. But I think when we look at Abraham, I think there's some universal general stuff about what God wants to show in us when He walks us through tests. And I think the bottom line, when we look at Abraham's test, of sacrificing Isaac. It's a test of trust. It's a trust test. Because I think when it gets right down to it, when we get to the end of any test that God walks us through, it really gets down to how much do we trust God? Do we trust God as the real God of our lives? I think when it gets down to it, when we go through a test, is God really the God of our lives? So when we look at this story of Abraham and God wanting him to sacrifice Isaac, there's two things I want to look at where, that trust says to us, if you will. In this test, first of all, I would say that trust says, God knows, I don't. Trust says, God knows, I don't. When we look at Hebrews 11, looking at verse 17, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, so he confirms what Genesis said, that this was a test of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You see, God makes a bizarre request of Abraham. Because in him asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, there's two things God does here. Number one, it seems like he's violating his nature. Because God hated human sacrifice. He opposed it. And here he is asking Abraham to do that very thing. So it looks like he's violating his nature. Secondly, it looks like he's going back on his promise. Because Isaac was the promised child that God said that he and, and Sarah would have. And here it is, 25 years later, the son has been born. Now he's probably middle school age, somewhere in that age range. It's been 30-something years. And now God's saying, hey, the promise I gave you, kill it. It looks like he's violating his nature and he's going back on his promise. But you know what? Abraham knew enough about God to know God would not violate his nature and that God would not go back on his promises. I mean, the writer of Hebrews just told us that Abraham had embraced all the promises God had made to him. God had proven himself to Abraham for over 30-something years now. From the time he left his home country to go to the land that God told him to go to, from the time that Isaac came, all the promises God promised, he came through with. Everything God said about himself had come through. Everything he claimed, God did. So Abraham knew, he knew God wouldn't violate his nature, and he knew God wouldn't go back on his promises. 
So Abraham knew there's something more to this that God knows, but Abraham didn't. But Abraham's trust wasn't resting in what he knew. It was resting in what he knew God knew. And although Abraham didn't understand everything what God was trying to do, only thing that mattered to Abraham is this. I know God knows. And as long as God knows, I can trust him. Now, what's interesting, the writer of Hebrews, he says that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. That, that phrase, offered there, it's real interesting in the Greek tense that it's written in. It literally means a done deal. It means that in Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead. That Abraham had every intention of going through with what God asked him to do. Even though he didn't understand it, it didn't make sense to him. He didn't see past what God was asking. He was, as far as he was concerned, Isaac was as good as dead. He didn't delay. He didn't try to buy time. He didn't try to figure out other ways to negotiate with God. No. God said, take the promise. Go and kill it. And Abraham had every intention of doing that, even though it didn't make any sense. But God had revealed enough of himself that Abraham knew there's got to be more to this that I can't see. But I've got to trust God with that. Folks, how many of you know we're never going to figure God out? He's God. We're not. And I don't know if you're like me. My tendency is, God, i got to know everything before I step out. i got to see every I dotted. i got to see every T crossed. God, I deserve an explanation of what's going on. And I hate to say this to every one of us. We don't deserve anything from Him. We don't deserve any explanations. But the wonderful thing about God is He's revealed Himself enough to us by His Word... He's revealed himself through our own experiences, how he has come through time and time again, the experiences of other people we hear about, that we can trust God even when we don't understand him. Let me ask this. How many husbands in here have completely figured out your wives? Well, if you raise your hand, you, the next sermon's on lying. How many wives have completely figured out your husbands? Now, I understand, wives, that we're, we're not as difficult to figure out, but there's still some mystery to us. I mean, there is stuff that is innately female that guys are never going to get. There is stuff innately male that, that, that females are never going to get. I will never understand. I have been married to my wife for over uh, 29 and a half years now. We, have, we dated about a year and a half prior to that. So for over 30 years, she has been the number one person in my life. She is the closest person to me on this planet But I will never understand why the woman gets up early in the morning to clean the house when she has somebody coming that day to clean the house. Can any other guy relate to this at all? She gets up, starts cleaning. I said, what are you doing cleaning the house? I said, I thought you had somebody come to clean the house. She says, I do. I said, so why are you cleaning the house? She said, so they can clean the house. I don't get it. I I can't go past that. My male mind just won't get there. I'll never understand that. And there's stuff about me. In fact, I came across this story about a woman with her husband. I, I think this is so, so perfect. She says this, My husband and I were having a very intense conversation about how I could use his help with the house cleaning duties. So one day, my housework-challenged husband decided to do some laundry for me. After a quick lesson about separating colors, water temperature, how much soap and fabric softener to use, he stepped into the laundry room to tackle the task. A few seconds later, he shouted to me, What setting do I use for my favorite sweatshirt? It depends, I replied. What does it say on the shirt? He yelled back. 
University of Alabama. So she said, here's my prayer. Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man, love to forgive him, and patience for house cleaning skills. Because Lord, if I pray for strength, I'm going to beat him to death. But you know what? My wife has revealed enough of herself to me that I can devote my life to her and love her and trust her even when there's mystery still around her. It's the same with God. He has revealed enough to us that even though there's still a lot of mystery with Him, even in stuff He might be asking us to do or leading us to do, that man, He has revealed enough to me about how trustworthy He is that even though I don't know what's going on, I can trust Him because I know He knows. See, that's that's what trust says. God knows. I don't. The second thing I would leave with you is this. Trust says God's able. I'm not. God's able. I'm not. I mean, you got to imagine. Abraham's going, okay, God promised me this kid and that this kid would be the first of the many descendants that would become a whole nation. And that the line would go through him. He's promised this child to me. This child has come. This child is growing up. Now he's asking me to kill him. And Abraham's thinking, all right, this doesn't make sense. But if anybody is able to pull this off, God is. If anybody's able to still keep the promise he made, even though it looks like he's going back on it, if anybody has the power and the wisdom and the ability to do this, God does. I I don't have the ability. I, I don't understand how it's going to work. All I know is this. God is able to pull this off. In fact, look what the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews, the very next verse, uh, 11 verse 19. He says this about Abraham. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Listen, in Abraham's mind, he said, you know what? God's capable. He is able to raise Isaac from the dead. If I go and kill him, he's able to raise him up. I believe God has that kind of power, that kind of strength, that kind of ability to resurrect this son. And and the writer says, in a manner of speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead. Because remember, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead. Abraham was killing him. He had no hesitation about that. In his mind, he was good as dead. And we just heard the story read a moment ago. When he had the knife in the air about to plunge it into his boy to sacrifice him, God stopped him. And to Abraham, that was as if literally he was receiving his child back from the dead. Now you've probably noticed the parallels between the Abraham and Isaac story and the story of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. You probably see that parallel. In fact, the Abraham and Isaac story is a prototype, it's a foreshadowing to exactly what God did with Jesus Christ on the cross for you and I. I mean, in both stories, the father is sacrificing the son. In both stories, it's the only son. And both of them loved those sons deeply. In the story, both are resurrected. One's figuratively, but one's literally. It was all pointing. This is the work of what Christ will do. In fact, Mount Moriah, the very place that Abraham sacrificed Isaac, 
is the very location of Golgotha where Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. So we see these parallels here. But here's the deal. Abraham knew, hey, God has the ability to raise up my child. Whatever he does, it's not dependent on my ability. It's dependent upon his. Listen. Listen to me close here. This is so important. God did not move because of Abraham's ability to trust. Instead, because of God's ability, Abraham trusted. Did you hear the difference there? God didn't move because of Abraham's ability to trust. Instead, because of God's ability, Abraham trusted. My, 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 my faith isn't dependent upon me. It's not dependent on my ability. My faith is dependent upon the ability of God. That's why I can trust. If it's based on me, it'll never happen. It's not a matter of how much faith I can conjure up and how much trust I can, I can squeeze out and how much I can will to God. This is how much I trust you. Finally, he says, okay, you finally, you finally got to the top. Now I'll move. No, 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 no. I can trust him because I know he has the ability to move on my behalf. It's a big difference. <laughs> how big's your God? How able is your God? God's trust, Abraham's trust, is because of God's ability. In fact, I want you to show show, show you this trust in action. I want, I want to look through. I want to look at just four phrases from Genesis twenty-two. That's the story that was read right before the beginning of this message. That was the story that was read. That's the story that the Hebrew writer is referring to. I want you to show, show you how trust in action. I want you to show you how Abraham, knowing that God knew and knowing that God was able, how that shaped his whole motivation, his whole intention, his whole outlook, his whole attitude in this whole thing, in this whole test. In Genesis 22, it tells us God tested Abraham. And then he cries out to, he calls out to Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. He says, I want you to take Isaac, your promised son, the one you love. And I want you to go sacrificing. And in verse 3 of 22, here's what it says. Early the next morning. Read that with me. Early the next morning. The, I mean, early the next morning. Gets up, wakes up Isaac. Have you ever tried to wake up a middle schooler? Not an easy deal. Wakes up Isaac. Gets all the stuff he needs. Finds some servants. And off they go. Nah, they didn't sleep in until noon. Get up Isaac. Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, uh, uh, let's go shoot 18 holes. Then we'll head down to Disney for a couple of days. I might not be seeing you for a little while. So let's, he, he's not trying to buy time or bluff. I mean the very next morning early. That's trust in action. He's heading out to do what God asked him to do. Three days he journeys. Three days he's got to go to the place. The third day he sees the place in the distance. Abraham tells his servants, you wait here. Isaac and I are going to go worship. And then the next verse, verse 5, he says, we will come back to you. Listen to that. Listen to this. We'll come back to you. I mean, it's shaping the very thing he's saying. He's going to sacrifice him, but he's saying at the same time, we're going to come back. Isaac will be with me in some form. He's going to be somehow alive when we come back. That's that trust in action, knowing who God is and what he's able to do. On the way, 
on the way to sacrifice Isaac. Now, this would have been the thing that had been the deal. This would have turned the tide for me. He's got the wood. He's got the knife. He's got the stuff to build the fire. And his boy, being observable, says, Hey, Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Abraham's looking at his son that is, he loves, the only one that he has. He knows what's about to take place. And his son looks at him and says, where's the lamb? For me, I'm out of there. I'm grabbing my boy and I'm taking off. That would have been the deal clincher for me. I can't handle this. You know what Abraham says to his son? God himself will provide. Wow. He talk about trust. God himself will provide. You know, you can read this one of two ways. You can read this as saying God himself, he'll be the one to provide what we need. And or you can read it as God himself will be the provision. Do you hear that? That God himself will be the provision. But here Abraham is. God's going to provide. Isaac is on the altar. The knife's in the air. God stops him. Provides a lamb. Sacrifice the lamb. And then this is what Abraham said. This place will be called the Lord will provide. How many places do you have in your walk with God that you can look back and say, there's a Lord will provide place. There's a Lord will provide place. There's a Lord will provide place. Because it's those places the Lord will provide that enables me to trust Him when I don't understand what He's doing and trust Him when I don't have the ability to do what He's asking me to do. You know what I believe? I believe there's several of us in this room. God wants today to be a Lord will provide day for you. Trust says, God knows I don't. God's able, I'm not. A year ago, this this time, a year ago in July, Mount Perrin North We found ourselves in some of those challenging financial times we've had in our history. We've been at the Marietta location for 25 years. I've been pastor, senior pastor. I'm into my 16th year. Five years prior to that, I was associate pastor. 21 years I've been a part of this 25-year history of this church. I've seen a lot of stuff. This was the greatest financial challenging times we had had this time last year. For the past couple of years, with the economy the way it was, we were doing quite well, even when the economy was hurting with them. But the past couple of years, it just really got challenging. In fact, I fought God about opening this this campus because I was saying, how are we going to do it financially? But God kept saying, you're going to do it. I came to that place of God knows I don't. God's able, I'm not. But here we found ourselves this time last year. It was very difficult. We We were really living week to week and trying to meet bills 
very paper-thin cash flow. Anybody that owns a business or even your own household, you know how important cash flow is. And Man, we were hurting. I took some time off with my wife, and I spent a lot of time just talking to God because I was beginning to question my own leadership ability. I was beginning to question, hey, there's a need to be a change in pastor. By the way, can I just be very transparent with you right now? Because I am. And during that time off, I felt God begin to speak to me in some very specific ways. When I say speak to me, I don't mean audible voices. I mean speaking in here. He began to speak to me in some very specific ways about what to believe him for by the end of the year last year. One of those was from the financial standpoint. I had been reading the story in Exodus where God had given Moses the, the, the pattern or if the, the blueprints of building the tabernacle out in the wilderness. So Moses called all the people to start bringing the material from their home, bring all the material they needed to build it. And the folks were just bringing it hand over fist. Finally, Moses said, hey, stop bringing it. We got, we, we got too much. And there was a phrase in that story that said they had more than enough to do all the work. And that jumped out at me. And I believe it was the Lord helping me to really see that. And he said, do you believe I can provide more than enough to do all the work at Mount Perrin North? I said, I'm going to try. He says, here's what I want you to believe for. I want you to believe by the end of December, or December 31st, the end of the year, I want you to believe for a fully funded ministry budget and double reserves. Because the past couple of years, we had used up about all our reserves in trying to keep everything going. And we were paper thin. And he's praying, I want you to believe full funded budget by the end of the year and then double the reserves. Believe for that. We started on August the 1st, and I called our leaders and our staff to begin to pray. And every week from August 1st until we shut down for Christmas, we were praying for that. And there were two other specific types of things that God was saying. And as we began to pray, we began to see these other things that he'd ask us to pray about really just starting to go off the chart. I mean, it was amazing what was happening. But there was no movement in the money, just very little movement in the money. And, man, we're getting closer and closer. To December, and we're talking about we're talking about six figures, a significant amount of money, six figures, and for God to provide that, it was going to be something miraculous. And man, we're seeing all these other things go off the chart, but there's no movement in the money. I mean, we're seeing people. One of the things we were praying for was was a certain number of salvations by the end of the year, and we're seeing that number between our two campuses and all of our missionary outreaches. We've got about thirteen missionaries we support around the world. Through all of that. We're seeing quadruple what we God had told us to pray about believing for. I mean, it was incredible. And all these people are coming to Christ. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. You know, we're getting them out of hell into heaven. But I'm thinking, where's the money? You'd think I'd be thankful enough for that. And I was. But I'm thinking, God, you ask us to believe for this. December 31st not there I get up that morning and I've been keeping a prayer journal all this time and I'm just spending some time in prayer and I'm thanking God for all that he has done I really am sincerely and I write in my prayer journal I said but God I'm still believing for fully funded ministry and double reserves by the end of this day now I guess to be honest with you that, that was just a flare. I mean, I would love to stand up here and tell you, oh, my faith was just awesome. It wasn't. Nah. 
It was, if you're familiar with football, it was a Hail Mary pass is all that was. It, you know, I'm thinking, I'm just going to write, I'm going to have it on the record that I believed till the end. Believe me or not believe me, two hours later, I get a text on my phone from a man that's been a part of our church for a long time. He and I are good friends. He's a generous giver. He texts me and says, you got lunch plans? I text back and said, not really. What's up? He said, I'd just like to get with you. I got some money I want to give to the church. You name the time, place, whatever. I don't care if I've got to go bury family members. I am going to meet you for lunch. I have no idea what this money is. I meet this gentleman for lunch. His wife, my wife, were together. He shares this story. He says, Pastor, and, and this is, like I said, is a generous giver. He, he said, my wife and I have some money God's really blessed us with. And we've been praying about how we were going to use that money. We were planning to give some to Mount Perrin North, but we were going to maybe give it to some other things as well. He said, I woke up this morning. He said, I really felt God say to me, Mark Walker and Mount Perrin North need all that money. He said, so here it is. Open the check. All the money to fill all our ministry budget and double reserves. You talk about a happy pastor. But here's more to this story, and I want you to get this. I don't want to belabor this, but I want you to get this. I'm going to ask the band to come at, at, at this time. Here's the rest of this story. Here's what he shared with me. He said, Pastor, two years ago, I almost lost my business. And I knew that. They, they got really hit by the, by the economy situation. The, the business he's in is in development, and that got hit, and he got hit well. He had a lot of property on his hands. And his business almost went belly up two years ago. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to how God works. This, is, this isn't about me. It's about God and you right now. Two years ago, he almost lost his business. One of our missionaries, while over-serving his area of ministry and his missionary, felt the Lord, he, he's good friends with this gentleman, felt the Lord say to him, when you're back for Missions Festival, back here with us, the Missions Festival we have in February... I want you to get with this gentleman. I want you to take he and his wife, and I want you guys to go to each of their properties and pray over them, believing me to turn it around. And that's exactly what they did. They went to every one of his properties, and they've got a bunch of properties. Went to every one and prayed over it. His business began to turn around. Now, here's what's interesting. God began to open doors to areas of business he didn't even know was available to him. The way he normally did business, still not making any money. God's opened up new doors. And that's what the blessing came from that was able to meet what God asked us to believe for. What I'm saying to you is two years before God asked me to lead people to start believing in the way he wanted us to believe, he was already answering that prayer. But he was working in somebody else's life that needed to see God move. Is this making sense to anybody right now? You're walking through a test right now. You're going through a difficult place. You don't know how God's working. You don't know what he's going to do. Can I tell you, years ago, he was already moving in circumstances and situations to make it available to you that when you got to the end of the place in your test, he could provide exactly what you needed. 
That's how much He cares for you. That's how much He loves you. That's how much. How big is your God? Is He able? Does He know? Bottom line, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? I'm going to give you an opportunity to exercise trust here today. I really believe with all my heart there are some folks God really wants to minister to. And I'm going to open up this front area. Altar team, if you would, come and just find your place. We've got men and women that will come that are going to pray with you. I know taking a step and walking out, that can feel very awkward and vulnerable. But I'm going to invite you to be like Abraham. I'm going to invite you to move towards where God may be calling you to the place that He will provide. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask Your Spirit to just move among us right now. Father, I pray for every person that needs a touch from You. Every person that is walking through a place of testing. Every person doesn't know what you're doing, doesn't understand, but they want to exercise the faith that you know and you're able, that you'll move on them to take the next step to come and experience your presence and power to do what you want to do in them. In Jesus' name. You want prayer. You're in a place of testing or you're just believing God for something. You want prayer. As this band sings, I'm going to invite you to stand up from where you are, step out, come down, find one of these. Let these folks pray with you. God is here to do that right now. As this band sings, you step out, you come. Take that step of faith right now.